You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. You, I have a message in my heart for you today, and I have titled it, Where is God? Because I like to start with a question. Where is God? Not so simple, <laughs> right here. Where is God? Jesus started his ministry making an announcement. And since he's made this announcement, this announcement has been revered. It has been recorded. It has been seen by many as the catalyst of this beautiful, beautiful movement that has reached across the ages. It has reached across cultures, across different seasons of humanity. And it has reached us here. It's here today. But at the time when he made this announcement, it was a bit puzzling. It was an announcement that didn't make much sense unless you understood what he was about to do. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Mark starts his writings, his record of Jesus' life saying, the time has come. Jesus is saying this. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This was an age where his audience, the people listening to Jesus, were being oppressed. They were being put to shame. They were being controlled. The weak were suffering at the hands of the powerful. There was not a lot of hope for for his audience. In fact, their light was dimming. And Jesus comes making this announcement, this big announcement that nowadays it sounds compelling. It sounds almost poetic, right? But at that time, it was puzzling. You could, you could very well listen to Jesus' announcement and say, well, Jesus, I agree with about a third of what you're saying there. We do need some good news. We need some good news in our lives. But... Look at what's happening. I don't know if you see what's happening because we are the victims. We are the ones being oppressed. We are the ones under this oppressive empire. And you are asking us to repent? It doesn't make much sense, Jesus. Also, how can you say that God is anywhere near? How can you say that God is anywhere in this? The God that freed our people from from Egypt. The God who is supposed to be our liberator. How can he be in these circumstances? How can he be anywhere near here? And if he is, then this is not good news. People listening to Jesus could very well feel antagonistic about his message and his call. Now, have you ever found yourself in a place like that where you just stop, look around, and you say, God, where, where are you? Where are you? Where is God right now? Maybe you're not living under an oppressive empire. Maybe it's a circumstance that you're going through. Maybe, you know, you're in the season where money is tight, and you're not getting a lot of work, and the bills don't stop coming, 
and the account is drying up, and you have hit everybody that you can that could help you out, and you just need one good break. You're believing for one good break. You need that one good break, and the only break you get is that your car breaks down. And you go, really? God, where are you? I don't know if you've been in a season like that. Or maybe it's in a different scenario. What if you are in your office, your division, your job, you are the best uh, employee, the one that, that performs the best. You're the first one in, you're the last one out, and you give your best, and then a promotion is announced. There's an opportunity for a promotion. And you know that you want, you're one of the top contenders, not the top one. But just to be sure that you are the first in line, you go and you take that extra course, and you go and you apply yourself, you get a certification, you do what you can to be the best. And then Ned gets the promotion. Yes, Ned. Hate that guy. Because Ned calls in sick every time it snows. Ned takes two-hour lunches, and then he leaves early because he has to pick up someone at the airport. Ned. Ned takes your promotion, and you go like, really, God? Is this as far as I'm going to go? You begin to think, this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going to go anywhere beyond this because I'm giving my all. I'm giving my best at this situation. I've given my best, and I'm believing, but... Where's God? Where is God? You know, we see situations like that all around us. Sometimes it doesn't even affect us directly. Maybe it affects, affects somebody we love. Maybe we see somebody go through a season of suffering, and it causes us to ask, where is God? How could that be happening to that person? Where is God right now? I mean, we just had a horrible, horrible thing happen last Monday in Manchester. We can ask ourselves. I think we will go through seasons in life, seasons that we will face, circumstances we will face, where we are all going to be in a situation where we'll ask, we'll ask, where's God? Where is God? And that's what happened to Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. He shows up in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah kind of shows up in the scene already commanding respect. Because the first reference of him in scriptures, he's talking to the king of Israel, King Ahab. And he's telling the king, listen, it's not going to rain anymore in the land of Israel unless I say so. See ya. And he walks away. And he goes on a hiatus. He hides. And guess what? Exactly what he said happened. There's no rain in the land. There's a severe drought in the land. In fact, a few years later, the king is looking for pasture for his own horses so his animals won't die. And then God tells Elijah, all right, go show yourself to the king. Three years later, he shows himself to the king. And then when he shows up in front of the king, the king says, you troubler of Israel, this is happening all because of you. You were the cause of this. And he says, no, 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 no. He has the confidence to stand before the king and tell him off. He says, no, it's not because of me. It's because of you. You did this because you walked away from the Lord. You turned your back on the Lord and you made his people serve idols. This is a judgment on you. 
Now, I want you to do this. He's now giving the king instructions. I want you to do this. Gather all 450 prophets of Baal. Baal was the God that Israel had turned to. And bring all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a meeting over there. He's setting up a showdown. And so the king does just that. And Elijah comes up to Mount Carmel. And he sees everybody. He sees the prophets. And he comes in already challenging everybody. He says, how long are you going to be limping between one God and the other? If Baal is God, then follow him. Now, if the Lord is God, the Lord is the name that they used for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If the Lord is God, then follow him. And nobody said a thing. So he said, all right, we're going to do this. To put this matter to rest, we're going to do this. We're going to have materials to be, to, for two altars to be built. And I need two bowls. And then we're going to prepare the bowls. They're going to prepare the bowl. And they're going to make the offering to Baal. And I'm going to prepare the bowl. And I'm going to make the offering to the Lord. Whatever God answers with fire from heaven, that God is the true God. And the people were like, all right, great. Let's do that. It's a showdown. It is the clash of the gods. On one side, you have 450 prophets of Baal. On the other side, you have Elijah, (laughs) the prophet of God, with no one to back him but God himself. He put his life on the line. And the prophets of Baal went first. He's like, you guys go first. He was a gentleman, right? You guys go first. So they did. They prepared the offering. They prepared the bowl. And they put it on the altar. And they called down Baal. They asked for fire. They did what they did. They cut themselves. Apparently that was part of their custom. And they cried out, cried out, cried out. They called out from morning until noon. They did this. By noon, Elijah started getting cheeky. He began to mock them. Like really mock them. He was like, hey, cry louder. Maybe he's napping. Huh? And then he says this. You can't make this up. It's in the Bible. You know what? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Taking the number two. Maybe he is relieving himself. That's what he said. So cry louder. That's why he can't answer you. He is just mocking them. I just imagine him laughing and laughing. And then they continued, but nothing, nothing happened. Then finally, Elijah takes center stage. He prepares the offering. Not only that, the altar is built. The bowl is cut up and put on the altar. And he asks for four jugs of water to be thrown over the offering. They dig trenches around the offering to contain the water. And he does that three times. Four jugs of water, three times. He soaks the offering in water. As to make sure there's no doubt of what's about to happen. Twelve jugs of water. And then he prays. He says, God, let it be known that you alone are God of Israel. And that all I've done, I've done because of your word. 
Let it be known that I'm your servant. And at that moment, fire came down and consumed the offering, consumed the altar, and it says that it licked the water. It dried the whole thing. And the people believed. And the moment the people believed, this is where it gets gruesome. The story turns. There's a significance to that. But Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. And they seize them, all 450 of them. He takes them down to the brook. And Elijah himself gets a sword and slaughters every single one of them. I know, right? Shocking. He kills 450 prophets of Baal. The people that were guiding the people of Israel, the, the prophets that were guiding the people of Israel away from the Lord, he ends their life right there. And then he prays for rain after he was done with that. And rain comes back to Israel. Now this man, the reason why I'm giving you this context is for you to understand the kind of confidence, the kind of courage, the kind of relationship Elijah had with God. This man who was used by God to confront the king of Israel, the man who was the commander of all the armies of Israel, this man gets a message from Jezebel. Jezebel is the king's wife. Jezebel sends a message to, to Elijah, and it says this. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to, me, do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. This is what happened. Jezebel was the lady who killed all the prophets of God. And she told Elijah, I'm coming for you. And he runs for his life. He runs for his life into the wilderness. He runs for his life for an entire day. Elijah, that man, that confident man, the man who told off the king, is running for his life in the wilderness, fearful. And when he has run for a whole day, he loses the will to live. He says, God, kill me now. Which to me, it doesn't make sense because if you're going to run for your life to try to die, just save the run. Just says me. And he is there, but there's a reason why he says that. There's a reason why he comes up to God and he says, It's enough. It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. What he was saying is this. She killed the prophets of, of the Lord. She killed my friends. I have mourned them. And no doubt she's going to get me. She's going to get me too, because I'm not better than them. I'm not better than them. They were the prophets of God, just like I am. They did what I do. And if she was successful in getting them, she's going to be successful in getting to me too. I got to run for my life. And God, just kill me now because she's going to kill me. And I'd rather die in your hands than die at her hands. Just take my life. He was trying to avoid his fear by asking God to be merciful enough to kill him. Now, have you ever done that? Not the death part. 
But can you imagine Elijah being so afraid to be in that situation? Have you ever been in a situation where you faced an enemy that was so threatening that it captured all your attention? Because that's what, happening, that's what happens when we face an enemy that captures all of our attention. When we face a circumstance, when we face a, 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 a challenge that captures our attention, we fear. And when we fear, when we sense that threat and we fear, this is what begins to happen. We begin to make that enemy, that enemy that threatened us, that enemy that we're facing, that, that enemy begins to be the measure. We begin to measure everything in our lives according to that enemy. We begin to measure everything in our lives according to that challenge. We begin to measure everything in our lives according to that enemy, including ourselves. We measure ourselves when all we can see is our enemy, according to our enemy. And that's what happened to Elijah. He lost sight of anything else. And all he can see was his enemy. And he began to compare himself to other people who faced the same enemy before. And he said, I'm not better than them. Have you ever done that? Situations in your life, challenges in your life, maybe thresholds in your life where people, your peers or your family members or people who went before you, or your friends, try to cross that line, try to break through that ceiling, try to go beyond, try to face that enemy, and they did not succeed. And the moment you were facing it, you were like, God, this is as far as I'm going to go. I can't go beyond this. If they weren't able to do it, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not better than them. I'm not more talented than them. I don't have more power than them. I'm the same. And if they couldn't overcome this, there's no way I'll be able to overcome this. Here's what happen also, happens also. Because when we get to that place where we say, I'm not stronger, I'm not better, I'm not, our enemy becomes all we can see. And when our enemy is all we can see, when our, that, that horrible circumstance is all we can see, it is really, really hard to see God. And that's when we say, God, where, where are you? Because all I can see is this circumstance in front of me. Where are you? See, this is a challenge for us. This was a challenge for Elijah. All he could see was his enemy. This was a challenge for the people listening to Jesus, to his announcement. Because all they could see was the oppression of that empire. And this is a challenge for you and I when we face enemies that capture our attention, which we are bound to. All we can see will be our enemy. And some of you, you're here today and you hear, you hear about a good God. You hear about a God who wants to bless you, but you can't get past what you're facing. You hear about a God who is loving and kind and, and has promises for you, but you can't get past what you're facing. You hear about a God who has a purpose for your life, who wants to get you to fulfill your dreams, but you can't get past what you're facing. 
And here's what happens too. When your enemy, when your enemy is all you can see, you want a God who measures up to your enemy. You begin to even measure God according to your enemy. This is a problem in our culture today, I believe. This is a problem for a lot of people today. It's a challenge for a lot of people today. Because, to be honest, sometimes it's easier to see the devil than it is to see God. Come on now. Sometimes it's easier to see the problem than it is to see the, the solution. Many times it's easier to see our enemy than to see the victory right beyond it. And when we begin to measure our God according to, your, to our enemy, what we want is a God that is as powerful as the enemy. What we want is a God that is as awesome as the enemy. What we want is a God that can look at this enemy and face it. <clears throat> but we, we are seeking God because we fear our enemy. We're not seeking God because we fear the Lord. We're seeking God because we want to see the enemy gone. And that's what Elijah did. He was looking for a God who could defeat his enemy. And the scripture says that God called him. He was in a cave hiding. And God called him to the edge of the cave. He was at the edge of the cave. And he could see the mountainside. And a wind, a powerful wind came who tore the mountain. And he looked for God in the wind. But guess what? God wasn't in the wind. He looked for God in the earthquake. An earthquake happened. And he looked for God in the earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. He looked for God in the fire. When the fire came. And God wasn't in the fire. And many times we, we look for God in comparison to our enemy, because we want God to be powerful, as powerful, we want God to be as strong, we want God to deal with our enemy. But the reality is, we discover what Elijah discovers, or discovered, that God is not in any of those things. God was found in a whisper. Scripture says, that after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. Now, you need to catch this. This is important for you to catch. Because if you ever come to a situation where you ask, where is God? You need to understand that God is in the whisper. You might be looking for some magnificent expression. And God can do those things too. But you're looking for God in the form of an earthquake or in the form of a strong wind or in the form of a fire to just come and consume this enemy and do away with this circumstance and just destroy every, situ every situation when all the while God is in the whisper. We want God to deal with our enemy, right? We want that. But I am convinced that there's something bigger at play here. There's, such, there's something much bigger in our challenges and in our battles. Because, and you need to catch this. Every time we were looking for God to deal with our enemy over there. Every time we were looking for God to take care of our problems over there. Every time we were looking for God to come powerfully and deal with the things that we're facing over there. Most likely, we are feeling alone over here. 
And all we want is the assurance that somebody is with us, that we're not facing this situation alone over here. That's why we want to see God work over there and take care of our problems. But God is whispering because his primary goal is not to be over there, but it's to be over here. I've heard it said this, that God whispers because he is near. He's whisp he whispers because he wants to be with you. He wants to be close to you. So you may be facing an enemy and all you can see is your enemy. And you're wondering, where is God? I'm here to tell you this morning, God is near. And he's in the whisper. There are things that we need to do. See, when we feel alone, God wants to make sure that we are not alone facing our enemy. That we're not doing it alone. God is in the whisper. You know, we have a friend here at the church, Lori. Lori has been such a blessing to our family. She has been such a blessing to this church. And Lori was telling us her story that I went to see her brother, Tommy, and she was sharing the story of how, you know, years ago when she got married and the family would get together, everything was so good and so amazing and things were flowing and the family was happy and things were looking out and it was good. And then her brother, Tommy, was diagnosed with ALS and that was a big hit because he was given four years to live. And it was a difficult situation for the family. And as they were facing that, they gathered together, you know, a united family. As they were facing that, unexpectedly, her father passed away. And there was another hit. And they just pushed through it. They pushed through it. They pushed through it. And the years passed. And Lori began to feel the pressure of all of this as she tried to pick up the pieces and assist and be there for her family. And, there her, and then her husband lost his job. And it was one hit after the other through a number of years. And Lori, who was not as connected to a local church, but was still praying, was asking God, 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 would you send me a church? Now pay attention to this. She wasn't asking first for money or comfort or she was asking for a church, for a body of believers for her to be a part of. And, you know, as all of that is happening, she receives a flyer in the mail. And it was almost as though for this church, it was almost as though God whispered in her ear. This is the answer. Now, she listened to the whisper amid all the circumstances, amid what the enemy was putting against her. She listened to the whisper, and she began to come to church. And I remember at the beginning, she was feeling like the weight of the world was on her shoulders with anxiety, with an inability to see a brighter future. Because since her brother's di diagnosis This was, what, over 30 years ago. He's part of the small percentage that survives beyond 10 years with ALS. And he's been doing it for over 30 years. The battle is still going. The care is still there. The, 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 the circumstance is still there, very present in her life. 
But here's the difference. From the moment she connected to this church, she realized this. She is not alone. And you need to realize this. You will face enemies that will sound like they're so big and so powerful that they will take away your life, take away your will to live. But if you can listen to the whisper, the certainty that God is with you, the certainty that you are not alone and that he is for you will help you go through and rise again with a different resolve, a different attitude, a different purview. And that's what's happened to Lori. She's still facing some of those battles, but now she knows she's not alone, which means she's stronger. She's feeling much more empowered. See, for you, many of you here, you need to realize that you were not alone, and that's why God whispers. Now, what do you do when you can't see God, when all you can see is your enemy? This is the practical point for you today. We need to go back to Jesus' announcement because it's the same thing. See, Jesus came announcing that God is near, that God is here. And many of you, you can't see that. Or maybe you couldn't before. Because the trouble, the problem, the circumstance was too loud. It was too powerful. And you were in, in a moment in place where when you heard the announcement that God is here, that God is for you, that God has plans for your life, you couldn't really believe it. And Jesus shares the key of how we can change our reality. It is in this one simple word, repent. You and I, we need to repent. Now, if you grew up with an idea of repentance, of feeling really bad about what you did, that's not repentance. If repentance for you is an accusatory thought of all the list of things that you did wrong, that's not repentance. The word repentance in scriptures comes from the word metanoia, which means to change your thinking in a way that changes your action. And this is what repentance is in this situation when you're facing enemies that are capturing all of your attention. Repentance is doing this. It's moving your enemies out of your sight and putting God before you. Because when you see God, when you realize that he is near, your enemies will not capture your attention anymore. And that's what repentance does. It puts God in the center. It makes us realize that he is near. And that is good news. That is good news. Yes. That is good news for you. So if you don't mind standing with me today. Repentance is not a feeling. It's an action. I want to encourage you to take that action every single day to say, God, I believe you're near. And listen for the whisper. Listen for the whisper. If you want to see God and you can't see him, I want to encourage you to turn away from your enemies. Turn away from your enemies. Turn away from what you're facing. I dare you. I dare you to not pay attention to your enemy. Because this is what happened to Elijah. God showed up in a whisper. And he didn't even address Jezebel. Not until later. There was not one word about Jezebel. God showed up 
to Elijah and he said, here's what you need to do. Go to this guy and anoint him as king. Go to that guy and anoint him as, as king. And this is what they're supposed to do. In other words, God was saying, get back to purpose. Get back to what you're meant to do. Get back to what you're supposed to do in your life. Don't pay attention to your enemy. I got your enemy. I took care of your enemy. Your enemy is already defeated. Get back to purpose. Yes. Did you know that Elijah did not prophesy once while he was in fear? The whole time that all he could see was Jezebel in front of him. He could not speak on behalf of God once. It wasn't until he heard God in the whisper and he was able to push his enemy aside when he re-engaged with his purpose. And if you have been feeling like you've been stuck because all you can see is the enemy in front of you, I want to encourage you this morning. Push that aside and connect to God. Connect to God because he will connect you to your purpose. So let's pray.